Hello, my Rebels. Today's podcast is a question, really. Why is Justin Trudeau allowing China to push him around? I mean, surely he knows they're not his friend anymore. They've taken two, maybe even three hostages. They're blocking all our agricultural exports. Why don't we even very gently block their imports to us like Donald Trump has tears? Why? I take you through a lot of the, the recent news, including a new report today of 900 food inspection failures of Chinese junk they're selling us. Watch this video. I think I watch this video. Listen to this podcast, but would you watch the video too? You can do that by getting a premium subscription. If you go to the rebel.media slash shows, you can get the premium subscription. It's eight bucks a month, 80 bucks a year, but you get a discount if you type podcast in as the coupon code and you get the video version of the show and you get access to other shows like Sheila Gunn-Reed and David Menzies. Anyways, please consider doing that, and here's today's podcast. You're listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Tonight, just what will it take for Justin Trudeau to hit back at China? It's July 15th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Why? consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government China took another Canadian citizen into custody today. Here's a story. The Shandong Provincial Public Security Bureau recently seized a drug-related case involving foreign students, said Foreign Ministry spokesman Gang Shuang at a press briefing. One of the people involved is in the case is a Canadian citizen. As Freud said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Maybe this is just a foreign student from Canada in China caught with drugs. Could be. Or maybe it's another pretext to take another Canadian hostage. I'm pretty sure we won't get the truth from Justin Trudeau or Christian Freeland. They would have a strong incentive to make it seem like China, no, 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 they're not bossing us around when China is very clearly bossing us around. And the two Canadian hostages they, they took a year ago, almost, they're no closer to release. It'll be a year in December. The opposite, actually. They're further away from release than ever. You know, the two gray-haired elder statesmen of the Liberal Party of Canada, Jean Chrétien, the former prime minister, and John McCallum, the, the last ambassador we had to China, you know, we still haven't replaced him. Well, they both more or less told the Chinese to, to hold firm that Trudeau would or should or could just cave in and give the Chinese whatever they want. I mean, who knows what the Chinese diplomats think of all this, but you could forgive them for trusting old men like Chrétien and McCallum, which I'm guessing would be the instinct of the Chinese, to trust the old seasoned hands rather than trusting the shallow words of a young fool like Trudeau and his foolish foreign minister. We're quite proud the Prime Minister has been given a fond nickname in China. Which is? He is called Trudeau, which I believe means potato, and he is, I can't say the Chinese word, it's Xian Trudeau, little potato, because his father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, was senior potato. So we feel we are off to a great start. Phew. Yeah, if, if you don't know that you're being insulted, if you think an insult is a compliment, maybe you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. 
China is cranky these days, and for good reason. For the first time in a generation, someone, something powerful is holding them to account, Donald Trump. Like all dictatorships, China lies about its strengths, especially its economic strengths. So it's impossible to know just how badly Donald Trump's trade war is hurting China. It wouldn't surprise me if they were actually tilting towards recession, which means two quarters of economic shrinkage. Um, and it's not just the facts of it. It's that Trump is so undiplomatic about it. His style is so brazen. Look at these recent tweets. China's second quarter growth is the slowest it has been in more than 27 years. The United States tariffs are having a major effect on companies wanting to leave China for non-tariffed countries. That's very interesting, isn't it? Companies are moving out of China to set up factories elsewhere. Thousands of companies are leaving. This is why China wants to make a deal with the U.S. and wishes it had not broken the original deal in the first place. In the meantime, we are receiving billions of dollars in tariffs from China with possibly more to come. These tariffs are paid for by China, devaluing and pumping, not by the U.S. taxpayer. He's having too good of a time, isn't he? No one has ever spoken to China like Donald Trump is doing. And the glee there. And Trump meets at will with China's colony, North Korea, arranging a visit to the DMZ by Twitter, going around Kim Jong-un's handlers in Beijing. China is cranky. Look at this tweet from the Chinese ambassador. Uh, he's the ambassador to the U.S. He's growling at Taiwan for buying U.S. military equipment. Taiwan is part of China. No attempts to split China will ever succeed. Those who play with fire will only get themselves burned, period, period. So I guess there's three periods, there's burned period, then he writes out period, and then he puts a period. Just so you know, he's really, I really, really mean it, guys. Yeah, you don't have to say period three times if, if people would take you at your word. I remember about a dozen years ago when I had the privilege of visiting Taiwan. My main worry, and it was the worry of the political class, the, the, the civil liberties class, was that China would sweet talk Taiwan into rejoining China with the promise of the unlimited riches of the vast Chinese market. My worry was it was a velvet glove over a steel fist that Taiwanese people might be, I don't know, tricked by the wealth and ignore the risk to their freedom. That's, that's what I felt when I went there a dozen years ago. Well, President Xi Jinping has removed any doubt of that. He's taking the velvet glove out. He's just got the steel fist. Taiwan is pretty much scared away from China for another generation. And it's because China's just so growly. And add into that the massive multi-million person street protest in Hong Kong against a bill that would have given China's courts powers in Hong Kong. They just plain stared down Beijing's puppet CEO in, in Hong Kong, and she blinked. It was an extradition bill. So yeah, things aren't going well for China these days, partly because of China's own mistakes, but mainly I put it to you because of Donald Trump. Did you know that Donald Trump has visited Japan three times? And Japan's prime minister, if I'm counting right, has visited America six times under Trump. I think that's the most of any world leader. Um, don't think that's not a counterpoint to China, too. Japan is a counterweight. Japan is worried about China. Japan and America are closer than, than they've been in years. Trump knows what he's doing. China's on the back foot. Except for with Canada. All these folks that are standing up to Chinese bullying. Well, not Canada. China's bullying Canada because our guy's too stubborn and too stupid 
to admit that we have a problem. I mean, look at, look at this guy. The, the Chinese couldn't believe their luck when they first encountered this fool. There's a level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China. Um, because their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime. Yeah, well, in addition to the two or is it three hostages, China has slapped massive trade sanctions on Canada. I mean, Trump is roughing up China, but China's roughing up Trudeau. Uh, he's banned our crops. He's banned our meat. He's with spurious claims that, that our meat is unhealthy or something. It's, it's obviously fake. It's obviously a false excuse. Canada's crops are surely the healthiest in the world. Canada, you know, China's just playing with us, and, and Trudeau's letting it happen. So basically, China is conducting war against us by every means except through military means. Hostages, sanctions. But, but look at this news today. Canadian food inspectors flagged 900 items from China over two years. That's more than one a day. Let me read a little bit. Canadian inspectors intercepted nearly 900 food products from China over concerns about faulty labels, unmentioned allergens, and harmful contaminants that included glass and metal between 2017 and early 2019, according to internal federal records. The document provides an inside look at imports from China that caught the attention of officials for appearing to fall short of Canadian standards, from gumballs with extraneous metal huh, to three-minute chow mein that contained an insect ugh, to spicy octopus feet flagged for a non-specific Hazard. So I didn't even know octopus had feet. Um, so unlike their fake claims that our Canadian food is bad, that our canola is bad, we're importing so much junk from China that's fake, that's counterfeit, that's poison, insects, glass, metal, and we're just saying, hey guys, that's fine. You can still have my lunch money and I'll still do your homework for you, Biff. Just stop beating me up, okay? Why are we going easy on them? Here's some more from the story. In recent weeks, China asked Canada to suspend all its meat export certificates to the Asian country after Chinese customs inspectors detected residue from a restricted feed additive called ractopamine in a batch of Canadian pork products. A statement by China's embassy in Ottawa said the investigation uncovered at least 188 forged veterinary health certificates and argued the Canadian system had obvious safety loopholes. Chinese authorities have also blocked imports of Canadian canola seeds, alleging they found pests in some shipments. The federal government says it has tried unsuccessfully to send a delegation of inspectors to China to examine the evidence. They won't even let us send inspectors. Do you really believe the Canadian pork farmers had forged veterinary health certificates? I, I mean, I, I guess that that's theoretically possible. There's more than 35 million Canadians, and, and most of them eat pork, frankly, all the time. I, I, I think we'd have heard about health problems pretty quickly if they were forged veterinary certificates. I, I think we would detect those... F who would even think of that? Forged veterinary certificates pretty quickly. I've never heard of them in my life, but China has, you know? Nah, no, they're lying. But we're rolling over them? Why are we letting them ban our food for no good reason while we let their food in with 900 good reasons to keep it out? Oh, and look at this. 
Chinese researcher escorted from infectious disease lab amidst RCMP investigation. Public Health Agency of Canada describes it as a possible policy breach, no risk to the Canadian public. Let me just read a little bit from this story. A researcher with ties to China was recently escorted out of the National Microbiology Lab in Winnipeg amidst an RCMP investigation into what's being described as a possible policy breach. Dr. Xiang Wo Chu, her husband Ke Ding Chung, and an unknown number of her students were from China were removed from Canada's only level four lab. On July 5th, CBC News has learned, the students didn't speak much English and kept to themselves as a group. I, I don't understand. So, so we just have this whole Chinese unit in our country. They, they don't even speak English and they're just working in our top secret confidential research facilities, a level four, let me read some more, a level four virology facility is a lab equipped to work with the most serious and deadly human and animal diseases. That makes the Arlington Street Lab one of only a handful in North America capable of handling pathogens requiring the highest level of containment, such as Ebola, security access for the couple, and the Chinese students was revoked, according to sources who work at the lab and do not want to be identified because they fear consequences for speaking out. Sources say this comes several months after IT specialists for the NML entered Chu's office after hours and replaced her computer. What? Her regular trips to China also started being denied. So my theory is that they're getting information for the People's Liberation Army on an Ebola weapon. That's just my speculation if I had to guess. China steals industrial secrets all the time. They steal industrial secrets even more vigorously than they steal military secrets. Nortel, once Canada's leading high-tech company, was destroyed by China, by Chinese hacking. It just was, and you can't blame that on Trudeau, actually. In fact, every Canadian government for decades has just turned a blind eye to China's intellectual property theft. Chrétien, obviously. Paul Martin, obviously. Even Stephen Harper. Why? Why him? None of them have the courage or the strength of Donald Trump, that's why. Even if Stephen Harper wanted to take on China in that way, it surely would have been impossible without Barack Obama going along with him. Barack Obama was such a Sinophile. And look at this. A warning from a Nortel executive, what, seven years ago now, about Huawei. Why are we even contemplating letting Huawei, a Chinese company, build our high-tech infrastructure, including our 911 call system, our police and military first responder system, are we crazy? So what can we do about it? Well, we can do what Trump is doing. We can put tariffs on Chinese imports. We Canadians can do it. Why not? We import, like I said, a lot more of their junk than they import from us. Huge trade imbalance, always has been. The Northern Gateway Pipeline would finally have had them buy valuable things from us to offset that, but Trudeau nixed that. So it's basically us buying tons of consumer goods, toys, computers, everything, furniture, food from them. They used to buy some food from us, but now that's blocked and we haven't hit back yet. How, how come? We actually have cause to hit back. And really, who wants to buy Chinese food products? I mean, I love Chinese-style food. I, I go to Chinese restaurants all the time in Canada, but they're in Canada. They're made with Canadian ingredients, Canadian health standards, Canadian food inspectors. But food from China? Yeah, no thanks. You know, I, I could come up with a thousand examples, but I remember when I visited China a dozen years ago, the international scandal when I was in China was that Chinese toothpaste manufacturers were using antifreeze, seriously, antifreeze, to make 
The toothpaste tastes sweet, I swear to God. And I was in China, and I was reading the China Daily, that's their propaganda page. I swear to God, the Chinese government was de wasn't denying it. They were defending it, saying the antifreeze was safe. I am not kidding. Yeah, why are we even importing any food or medicine or anything you put in your mouth from China? Ugh. So what do we do? Well, we ban their dangerous food, ban their crappy manufacturing crap. Hell, ban Huawei phones. Seriously. They, I mean, they spy on you, of course. Why not just ban them? There are a dozen other cell phone makers and laptop makers and TV makers. You don't need a Huawei. You'll get along just fine with an Apple or a Samsung or a Google or whatever. But go further than that, too. You know, ban those Chinese communist propaganda arms on university campuses. They're called Confucius Institutes. They're really just little Chinese embassies on university campuses designed to pump out pro-communist propaganda, but mainly to spy on and criticize any Chinese students who are democracy activists or Falun Gong activists. These Confucius Institutes, they're little undermires. Kick them out. They're not academic institutions. They're spies. What about that professor, Dr. Shen Guochu? There are thousands of Chinese professors like that, thousands of grad students, not just thousands. There's over 140,000 Chinese students in Canada. That's up. That's up, by the way. Now, of course, we have some benefit from that, I, I think. I mean, I guess we get some of the research from it, I think, although come to think of it. Um, how is it a benefit that Canadian taxpayers fund universities and foreign students to take 140,000 spaces crowding out Canadian kids, taking up spaces that could have, you know, generally make, make universities less crowded. How is that a benefit again? Because, because why? They pay tuition, which partially covers the cost. So what? Surely any economic benefit of these 140,000 students is done undone by the spying or other activities. But, but let's assume that the vast majority of Chinese students here are just good people who want a first world education before going back to China to transfer our technologies and skills back home. How's that our business or our concern? I mean, I'm sure most of them are nice people. I'm sure they are. But we're in a war here, everything but the shooting. Imagine if we had a Trump-like prime minister who wanted to make Canada great again, who told the Chinese, for every day our hostages are not returned, 1,000 more Chinese students will have their student visas canceled. And I know that's mean. And I'm sure they're very nice people in the main. But they're not Canadian. They don't have rights here. And, and we're not jailing them like they jail our people. We're just sending them home. It's out of self-respect, really, that we're doing it. Until our hostages are returned free, send 1,000 Chinese visa students home a day. I think we get them home pretty quick. What's the worst that could happen? More spaces in Canadian universities for Canadians, less spying and industrial theft. And, and you know what? More respect for Canada around the world. Justin Trudeau would never admit it, but he could learn a lot from Donald Trump. Alas, he prefers to smear Donald Trump as our next guest segment will show. Stay with us. thought of the comments and whether you considered them to be racist. I think 
uh, Canadians and indeed people around the world uh, know exactly what I think about those particular comments. Uh, that is not how we do things in Canada. A Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian, and the diversity of our country is actually one of our greatest strengths and a source of tremendous resilience and pride for Canadians, and we will continue to defend that. Well, that's Justin Trudeau. I guess it's pretty clear he doesn't expect Donald Trump to help him get our hostages back from China. He takes the opportunity to virtue signal about Trump's tweets. What tweets is he talking about? Well, let me read them to you because I don't think you're going to see them verbatim in most newscasts because if you just listen to the CBC or any American network, they sound horrific. But let me read them to you because I don't think you'll see them on the news. So interesting to see progressive Democrat congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, if they even have a functioning government at all, now loudly and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came? Then come back and show us how it's done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy to quickly work out free travel arrangements. Three tweets in a row yesterday, obviously referring in the main to Ilhan Omar, the Somali-American congresswoman from Minnesota who trashes America at every chance. Somalia, of course, being a failed state. I thought they were provocative comments, but certainly not racist. And they spoke the truth about the nature of Somalia and the ingratitude of Omar. But they have been called racist by everyone, including by Justin Trudeau. Joining us now from Breitbart headquarters in California is our friend Joel Pollack, senior editor at large. Joel, were these comments racist as the mainstream media and Justin Trudeau seem to suggest? No, I don't think so. And I think that it requires some interpretation and spin to declare them racist. I'm not sure that I would have put things the way he did because of the opportunity that his political opponents have to misinterpret what he was saying. But certainly as regards Omar, I think he merely gave voice to what many Americans are thinking. And in fact, uh, today on Monday, the president hosted a Made in America summit at the White House and the audience applauded his defense of his tweets saying, if you don't like the United States, you can leave. You can come back if you want. But if you don't like it here, and he referenced her specifically, if you come from Somalia, a country that is failing, and you come here and you complain all the time, you can simply leave. And that is not an unusual sentiment in American politics. And I think he actually has touched a nerve. Now, for Democrats, they're seeing this as the confirmation of everything they've said about him, that he's racist and so forth. But in order to believe he's a racist, number one, you have to overlook what they have been saying and what they said even as recently as Sunday, uh, one of the four members of the squad, the left-wing group of progressive Democrats that he referred to today and that Pelosi has been attacked by, by the way, they called her a racist as well. Uh, one of the four who was born in Chicago, a congresswoman from Boston, uh, she went out yesterday and said that she's tired of seeing black faces, those are her words, and no more black faces who are not black voices. In other words, if you're black, you can only have one political opinion, it must be on the left, and she doesn't want to see you if you have a different opinion. So they can go out and say absolutely racist things, explicitly racist, but somehow the president is a racist. 
for insinuating that the group of left-wing Democrats that has been attacking him and has been attacking Pelosi and that he was attacked by is from another country. Now, it's incorrect to say that Ayanna Presley, that's the uh, last representative I was referring to, is from another country. And the kind of phrase, go back where you came from, has been associated with racism. But that's not all he said. He said, go back and come back. Mm -hmm. Once you've solved the problems over there, come back. It's an off-color remark in a sense, but it's it's not racist. It basically is how many Americans feel of all colors and, and many different backgrounds about those who come to this country, take its wealth for granted, take the opportunities for granted, and then tell us how terrible this place is. Yeah. That's Elon Omar, that's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and that's Rashida Tlaib. And Ayanna Presley, people don't know very well, but she certainly hasn't contributed in a positive way to this, nor has Pelosi. Pelosi came out and said that Trump wants to make America white again. So it's actually his opponents who are using explicit references to race. He didn't say anything explicitly about race. They're making it about race in the same way that they tried to make it about race when Pelosi criticized them. Pelosi said that these four, she called them the squad, are irrelevant. They only count for their own votes. They don't affect anything that happens in Congress. They accused her of racism for singling out, as a quote, singling out women of color. Well, it's not her fault they're women of color. What she's talking about is their radicalism. She's not talking about their race. And that's the same thing with Trump. Now, he was mistaken in that only one of the four was actually born in another country. Two of the four are first-generation immigrants, who, by the way, never tire of telling us that. And, you know, that's something I think that does have to play into this, because the countries they come from, Rashida Tlaib has her roots in the Palestinian Authority, and the uh, other is uh, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's from... Uh, United States, which is from Puerto Rico, and also talks about that. Uh, these are not well-run places. The Palestinian Authority is a basket case. Puerto Rico is in the midst of a corruption scandal, uh, also a basket case. Now their government is busy resigning. These are not well-run places. So uh, to come to this country, and in Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's case, to come from Puerto Rico to the mainland, if you want to complain about how things are here, one ought to do so, I think, with some degree of humility, in the sense that they are better than when you're, where your family was before. That's how I feel. I mean, I'm actually an immigrant. My family comes from South Africa. And I feel grateful every day for this country. And I, I would not choose uh, to go back. In fact, I did go back after college, and I worked in South Africa. And I discovered many things about America that I loved that I didn't realize I had taken for granted when I was working in South Africa. And... I did what Trump says they should do. I went away. I came back with a new appreciation for America. And I think there's nothing racist about that. It might actually do some people some good, did me some good. Um, I don't think it's racist. I think it is the kind of thing that some racists do say when they don't have the president's intended meaning. And I think that's the problem. I think he, he shouldn't have phrased it in a way that was so open to attack. But I think his audience knew what he meant. And you saw that today at the White House. He got a huge round of applause from the manufacturers, the people creating jobs, the investors, the workers, the job creators. What he said, and especially about Omar, what he said is not an uncommon sentiment. People are tired of hearing other people run down this country. In Somalia, especially, Americans died to defend the security of the people in Somalia, to try to save people in Somalia. And she is a refugee. She's here because of the, the hospitality of the American people. And she's constantly running down our system, constantly complaining about this and that. People are sick of it. People are sick of it. And Democrats won't stand up to them. And they're ineffective when they do because they get called racist. So then they just back down. Yeah. Uh, you're starting to see some, some hostility to that. And I think Trump, uh, as, as controversial as this is, I, I think that he 
uh, is in his wheelhouse here. This, this is this is why people elected him in a way. They don't, they don't want him to offend people. And I think, you know, if he could rephrase some of the things he said, as he sort of did today, I mean, he really was more careful with his language, even though he was just as passionate. I think uh, if he could have said it slightly differently, it would have been better. But essentially, the sentiment is that we're tired of people who are coming to this country and, and insisting on open borders and all this other sort of thing, telling us how terrible we are. Actually, you can go somewhere else if that's how you feel. And actually, I don't disagree with that. Uh, where he's wrong is that the people he was referring to, perhaps, specifically, don't necessarily fall into that category. Ayanna Presley is from Chicago. She's African-American. Her family may go back here generations. I mean, she's part of the squad. We don't know if he was referring to her specifically. He didn't name names. But, you know, as regards her, it's, it's, it's not the best comment he could have made, to put it mildly. But she responded in this racist way. So... You know, he's in a sense he, he's enjoying the benefit of having opponents who are what they say he is. Yeah. Here, let's uh, play a quick clip of Ayanna Presley making those shocking comments. I had actually never heard of this congresswoman before. This is dictionary definition racism. Take a look at this. Yes, I do quote Shirley Chisholm a lot, who said, "If they don't give you a seat at the table, bring your own folding chair." But I've amended that because I don't want to bring a chair to an old table. This is the time to shake the table. This is the time to redefine that table. Because if you're going to come to this table, and for all of you that have aspirations of running for office, for whatever lived experience and identity that you represent, if you are not prepared to come to that table and to represent that voice, don't come. Because we don't need any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. We don't need black faces that don't want to be a black voice. We don't need Muslims that don't want to be a Muslim voice. We don't need queers that don't want to be a queer voice. Come on, speak it. And if you're worried about being marginalized and stereotyped, please don't even show up. Because we need you to represent that voice. The midterm elections of 2018, they spoke a lot about each of our magic. I would never give short shrift to any of our magic, but this is work, and we put it in every day. Joel, I know you got to run, and thank you very much for taking the time with us, but I, I, there's one thing I want to point out here. The reason why I started our segment by actually reading the verbatim text of those three tweets is because in most media coverage I have seen, at least up here in Canada, that exact wording has not been shown to the public because the media party wants the racist interpretation that, that you've suggested. So they don't want people to say, oh, he didn't mean it that way. He meant it in, if you don't like it here, you know, the place you came from is like exactly the way you described it. I think this is another case of media malpractice. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. I, I, I think that they always do this. They leave out the other parts. Now, look, that's not to say that he should have said it that way. I think that when you're crafting these kinds of things, you have to think about the reaction. Mm -hmm. And the problem with 280 characters or whatever it is on Twitter is that it's very hard to get all of the context into one tweet. He tweeted a thread, so they're focusing on the first part of the thread and not the rest of it. Look, I don't think it matters, actually. I, I don't think this was a racist uh, comment, certainly not an intent. What he's saying is what people, black and white, have felt and Hispanic and otherwise, have felt about those coming to this country and complaining about it. Mm -hmm. uh, Justin Trudeau can say what he wants. I mean, Canada has a better immigration policy than, than we do. Um, we're busy dealing with that now as well. But look, th these left-wing Democrats have accused their own party leadership of racism, and people are tired of that also. Mm -hmm. can't be that the answer to everything is that it was racist. Yeah. It, just, well, it just can't be that way. It's, it's just 
tiresome and, and tedious. Let me leave you with this statistic. Axios uh, received an internal poll from the Democratic Party showing that Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and her squad are absolutely loathed by independents or uh, people who have not committed to the Democrat Party. They may inspire the media party, but severely normal Americans, I think they take Trump's view on it. They're a bit sick of the race hustling. Um, I, I think that maybe <laughs> that might even have been why Trump did what he did, because he knows something the media party doesn't. Is it Ilhan Omar, maybe the toast of Washington, but she just despised on Main Street. Last word to you, Joel. I know you got to run. Well, as you said, I mean, this is not an uncommon sentiment among Americans. I think many people are, feel the same way about those who come to this country and trash it. You don't give up your right to criticize the country if you come here from another country. I mean, you hear it from immigrants all the time in perfectly legitimate ways. I was listening to a Facebook video this weekend of a woman who immigrated legally and her son was killed by an illegal immigrant. And she's very critical of her government. She's very critical of the United States government because they didn't protect her family from illegal immigration. You don't give up your right to criticize. And she's an immigrant. She can criticize. I do think, though, especially when you're a member of Congress, you are the United States government and you have some responsibility to, I think, appreciate the country, uh, to, to be grateful to the country. You don't have to sit there on Capitol Hill. If you don't like the country, you don't have to serve. There's many other people who would like to serve in their place. So I think that's how people uh, who are not trying to score political points would have interpreted Trump's tweets. That's certainly the way, I, the way I saw it for the first few minutes until I realized that this was going to become yet another one of those things uh, that Democrats used to try to attack him and so forth. But I don't think it was racist. I think he could have put it better, to mm. put it that way. You, you don't have to defend the content of the tweet to understand what he was trying to say. Mm. All right, well, thanks very much for this. Very interesting and embarrassing that Canada chose to take a shot at Trump rather than to get Trump's help to help bring our Chinese hostages from China, China home. Joel, great to see you again. Thank you. All right, there you have it. Joel Pollack, Senior Editor-at-Large from Breitbart.com. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back. On my shows from the Defend Media Conference in the United Kingdom, Connie writes, Way to go, Ezra. That was pure gold. Thank you for everything you do, especially sticking it to those censorious thugs. Well, thanks very much. I don't know who you mean. You could mean Christia Freeland. You could mean that foreign minister from Pakistan. I don't even know. The place was chock-a-block with censors. I don't even know how Sheila and I got in, to tell you the, the truth, because, uh, boy, we were like a skunk at a birthday party. But uh, we did our job, which is to ask questions, and they did not like it one bit. Paul writes... Potemkin Village is an apt analogy. This is a hollow farce going on in the same country that jails journalists. Yeah, I just, you know what, I mean, it was quite a coincidence that Tommy Robinson was sentenced to prison on Thursday. That was day two of this Media Freedom Conference. Just crazy. Rob writes, it's one thing to watch your studio show every day, which I do, but man, it's awesome to watch you on the field of battle in the Wolf's Den in the third dimension. You are on fire. Still one of the best boots on the ground reporters, period. Amazing stuff. You literally own that room. Well, you know, if you're talking about uh, the Pakistani foreign minister, I just got to tell you. Um, I just want to give me a minute here. So, so they mailed us the full conference itinerary, room by room, hour by hour. I read it very carefully. The Pakistani government and other authoritarian governments were not on it. Then they had a fancy conference app that you could download into your phone, and I did. 
And I read every word there. They weren't mentioned there. Then they had signs um, on the walls. I read all those. In none of those places, and, and, and press releases, so there's a lot of information. In none of those places did it anywhere indicate that the foreign minister of Pakistan was speaking. I literally walked into the room just to sit down, and I heard him, and I didn't even know exactly who he was at first because his name was nowhere. They were hiding their censors right at a free speech conference. And so when I figured out who he was, I thought, this isn't even journalism. This is, we've got to have a detonation moment. And, and if you notice, I don't know if you noticed, the British guy, whose name I still haven't been able to find out, he, um, he said, are there any questions for the fellow from Macedonia? Because they didn't want questions for the Pakistani minister. And I put my hand up because I knew he wouldn't call on me if he knew I was going to ask a question to the Pakistani foreign minister. I said, oh yeah, I got a question for the Macedonian. Sure, just a short one. And I took that mic and I said, no, actually, it's for the Pakistani. You don't tell me who I get to ask questions for. And I just, boom, I let her rip. Thanks for letting me relive that moment here. But my point is, they kept it a secret. Did you get that? They kept it a secret. And did you know that he secretly met with Christian Freeland? And the only reason I knew that is not that Christian Freeland's office mentioned it anywhere, but that Pakistani foreign minister, he tweeted out the picture. Christian Freeland was keeping it secret. What a gross, gross event. Anyways, I get the feeling we won't be invited back, but boy, did we have uh, make the best use of our time that we had there, wouldn't you think? And I'm just so thrilled I was there with Sheila. She's just great company to travel with, and our friend Andrew Lawton was there too. All right, well, it's my goal not to go anywhere for a while. I've been doing too much flying, even though I've been trying to give you TV every day I'm on the road. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters in Canada, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom. Mm -hmm.